Welcome to Box to Box Football. All right. Welcome to another episode of Box to Box Football. We're talking about week 14 of the Premier League. Uh, now this will be my last, I don't know. I, I might be here Thursday, f- Friday. I don't even know what day it'll be because I'll be in England watching Manchester United and maybe Everton and maybe some other games. But uh, I'm going to throw it to JJ here. Uh, what what what'd you think about this weekend here? Yeah, what a crazy weekend it was and a pleasant good evening, morning or afternoon to who, whenever you're watching and listening to us here. Box to Box Football, of course, hit us up on Instagram and X slash Twitter, Box to Box Football. Crazy amount of matches. We actually thought it might have been a little bit more of a calm weekend and boy, did it be was it anything but that uh we're actually going to start in reverse guys we're going to go sunday first and it's going to be the finale of the matches that was the best of the bunch man city three tottenham three sunny scoring at both ends inside of 10 minutes uh phil foden got one then giovanni lo celso with an absolute rocket from somewhere out in the ozone jack Grealish thought that he won it but his calves were denied as Kulisevsky <laughs> with a bullet header in the 90th minute. Crazy game, Stu, start with you. I mean, we had literally everything in this match. We had the drama. We had brilliant play. We had the after shenanigans between the managers and Erling Holland, And I think it was LaCelso with a little bit of a cold shoulder bump. But all in all, I, I think it's a pretty fair result. Yeah, I know City fans will not be uh, happy with the the whistle that blew the uh, the play dead. That's, I guess, the one thing that they would maybe say. But yeah, this I was I was surprised. I really thought going into this game, this would be kind of a City not blowout, but you know, a City comfortable victory. And then even in the first half, I thought City was by far the better side. Uh, I thought they could have easily had three or four in the first half alone. Um, that that Spurs defense still, you know, missing key parts. Romero, Van de Ven in that back. They ended up playing two fullbacks at center back. Like it's kind of rough, right? Like I really did think City had a, a good chance to kind of uh, go ahead, but they they didn't stop. They 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 played better in the second half, and it's it's. I think it was a fair result. I mean, uh, Tottenham they don't seem to deviate the way they play, no matter who's in there, right? Like. They remind me a lot of what Liverpool kind of went through in that uh, that that COVID season where uh, Dave Van Dyke had the knee injury, Gomez had the knee injury, Matip was out. Um, and even though they were down to their fourth, fifth, sixth center backs, they were still playing the high line, playing the same exact style. Um, Ansball's here to stay. Ansball isn't going to you know deviate even if they have injuries or guys on red card suspension, no matter what the, the case is. So I, I was impressed. I, I really did think this was going to be a – a big result for City, and then in the end, they got the point. Both teams get the point. Feels like a, a better point for Spurs than it does for City, obviously, um, going there to the Etihad. But I, I was definitely impressed with uh, Tottenham in this one. Sean, at this stage right now in the season, we've seen City draw three consecutive matches in a row for the first time, and it seems like a long time at any point, well, at least at this stage of the season, they are more than one full match adrift of the top spot. We kind of spoke about it on the last last couple of shows. Are they vincible? Can Do they have little chinks in their armor? Or is this just complacency for the blue side of Manchester at this point? Yeah. First of all, there's a couple. I, I want to talk about a couple of things. The city, city and Tottenham 
when you go and look at the record going back to the Champions League in 2019, the quarterfinals, I believe, City doesn't really play well against Tottenham. Uh, they 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 don't get results. Uh, you know, they 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 get some wins, but you know, Tottenham's had just as many wins as, as City has over the last five years against them, and I, I think you know it's one of those teams. You know, maybe, you know, there's bogey teams and stuff like that. Um, you know, I think, look, they're, they're clearly, the, they're still the best team. I mean, I don't think anybody would argue that, What you know, whether or not they're going to win the league uh, is a little bit up in the air now because you have, you know, Arsenal's got one loss, you know, Liverpool one loss. Manchester City, I think, you know, they, they, they're still missing some players. It, at this point, you know, when you talk about injuries, I think it's kind of, you know, you say, you know, De Bruyne is out. Every team has injuries at this point. Every team at the top um, has injuries. Maybe, you know, maybe not Arsenal, maybe not Liverpool as much. So maybe that's why they're playing well. Maybe they're going to get their injuries later. It's going to happen. The congestion is too much at this point. Um, I think the, other, the the one thing I want to do, I do want to touch on is, you know, I, I've played the game. I've coached the game up to U23. Um, you know, I've, I've followed the game for, for a long time. That the, 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 and we talk about the officials every week that play when you look back at it and Erling Hollins tweeted out, you know, WTF, when you look back at it, he, he gave the advantage. He says, play on. And then they're through and he blows. The, I, I've never in my life seen anything like it. It's that, and there's been terrible calls all the time and VAR and all this stuff. And we'll get to that. But that was one of the worst calls I've ever seen. He gave the played the advantage. He went like this, and then he blew the whistle, and there was no advantage. Like we, the the play was through. I mean, they they had the advantage. There was no reason to stop it. Like just let it go at that point. And it, it's it was terrible. They they you know I don't know if they'll score or not, but he's in, and that's a huge call. And it just every week we talk about this. The officials are terrible in this league. Then I'm going to follow up with this on Sean with that. It was, it came out a few weeks ago. Um, I think it was Henry Winter in the Times who reported how the Premier League has this deal where they allow their officials to referee matches overseas. And we've heard about reports where you have guys going to Saudi Arabia amongst other countries on a Thursday night and then come back to referee a match on Saturday. Are referees overworked? At this point, do they need to just focus on, and this also takes away from their European fixtures, their international fixtures. Do we need to expand the field of referees to the point of get new guys in? Or do we as a collective need to just have, you're going to have a core of officials, have them be the core of officials in the Premier League, not League X, Y, and Z. I think the problem with like, so every, if, if you're refereeing in the Premier League, you're 100% getting games in Europe midweek because there's no other league that is as good as the Premier League. So these guys are all getting games, you know, whether it be Conference League, Europa League, Champions League. They're all getting games. I mean, you see the referees all over the place. Um, I mean, I think I've talked about it before. You know, Howard Webb, uh, Mark Clattenburg, uh, you know, even Mike Dean, who was kind of a character, but, you know, still, I mean, the, you, you've lost some really good officials and you just haven't really replaced him with anyone that's really he's, he's Michael Oliver, right? You know, he's refereed some big games, but I mean, these guys just 
like, I mean, I don't know if weak is too strong a word. I mean, it, it's, I think they're over relying on the technology at times. He's they the, the crazy thing about the, you know, I, I don't know if we'll get to it. The, the Brighton and Chelsea match. He sent the referee over to the, to, to the thing, to look at a ball where it hit, it, it hit his head, right? It, it, his hand was up. It hit his head. He sent him over. And the, he gave the he gave the penalty, and everyone's like, "What the hell is going on?" And then he was in his ear, like, "No, no, no!" He said, "No," he said, "Drop." So then they gave a drop ball, but the ball bounced off his head out of play, so it should have been a corner. And Brighton was going crazy, like a hundred percent, it wasn't a penalty. But it's every they shouldn't even have sent him to the monitor at that point. But they're so over reliant on this technology at this point, and they want to add more VAR to it, which is a disaster. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's um, well put. Kyle, I know we've kept you kind of in the corner there. I know you're a bit unwell at the moment and le also letting it fester up so you can talk about the Fulham Liverpool match in a moment. But do you have any final thoughts on uh, the three all? Um, I thought Spurs showed some character today, um, you know, to to take the lead. And then, um, you know, City comes back and, and City goes in front and Spurs ties it and City goes in front again. Um you know, just to keep coming back like that, particularly because Spurs was not in a great run of form, um, had lost three of the games in a row. I just thought, yeah, I just thought they showed me a little something today. Uh, look, I, do I think they're going to be title contenders? No, I think they're going to fade from that. Uh, and I'm not sure they have a deep enough squad, uh, even though they're they're not in Europe to contend for the title. Could they hang around the top four? Yeah, I think that's conceivable. They could. I thought they showed me a little heart, a little character, very unspursy today, the way that they – uh, kept coming back in that game. Um, and maybe that's something that, that uh, Andball has has brought to them. He's sort of changed that, that defeatist culture at the club. Well, we move from North London to, well, the team in West London. And Stu, normally I would give you the chance as the winner of a match in a rivalry of box-to-box -box football. But it's the man that dropped these few things in our group chat on Sunday. And I quote, as soon as Fulham went ahead 3-2, I said out loud, this is ending 4-3 Liverpool. Every every single time when they, Fulham, play one of the quote-unquote big clubs, this happens. That is Fulham 3, Liverpool 4, where Bernd Leno scores a, a worldie of an own goal, then to be followed up by um, Harry Wilson, who had a goal, scored, chalked off, then scored to then see McAllister hit an absolute stonker into the upper corner to be equal to with, with an Kenny. assist from Rahul with an assist from Rahul Rahul Jimenez. but go, go ahead. yeah that's true true <laughs> Kenny Tete gets one right back to tie it up Tim Ream has his wiped off Reed scores to make it 3-1 you thought it was or excuse me 3 two. you thought it was done before Endo scores in the 87th and Trent with one maybe about 35 40 seconds afterwards Kyle, uh, uh, commiserations, <laughs> bud. This was not an easy one yeah. for you to swallow. No, it, it it wasn't. And it was so on brand from Fulham, too, because it, it, they did a lot of good things during the course of this game. And look, Liverpool scored four belters in that game. Uh, I mean, all four of those, they were, those were terrific strikes. Uh, and Leno had no chance on, on any of them. So, so give Liverpool credit. I'll give Liverpool credit for that. Um, but as and like I said, as soon as it went to to three two to to three two, I said, Fulham's losing this four three. It's 
always have it's it's so on brand for Fulham to capitulate at the end of the game. Just ask Sean. Look at the last three times Fulham and Manchester United have played. Full and Fulham has capitulated at the end of the game every single time. Um, and you just and you just know that it's coming. And look, uh, uh, do I want? Yes, I want Fulham to to go on and win the game. Like when when you go up three two in the 80th minute, you have to win the game. And they uh, they had a better chance of getting a point out of that game at two two than they did ahead three two, because as soon as they went ahead three two, it just woke Liverpool up. Now look, Liverpool was peppering the penalty area, uh, but but the game had sort of it was played at such a high pace and such a high intensity, um, it, it had dropped off a little bit there around minute seventy to seventy five. Um, Fulham then scores the goal and that just woke Liverpool up and then they were all over them and you're like, how are they going to survive this? Um, you know, then of course they didn't. And that's why Fulham is in the position it is in the table because it doesn't finish games. Liverpool wins those games. Fulham loses those games. Just disappointed. That's all. Kyle, at this point of the season right now with Fulham in 15th position or 14th position, I should say, do you have a bit of a favorable schedule coming up though with home, the forest home, the West Ham at Newcastle, but that's only a couple of days after Newcastle's uh, final match in Champions League. Home to Burnley, away to Bournemouth with a EFL Cup tie in there against Everton. Do you feel like Forrest, or excuse me, Fulham can take something from this performance, or do you think that it could be a setback to have a really rocky month of December? Uh, I mean, I hope they take something from this because the way that the schedule sets up, I mean, those are games you got to win, right? Like, you're not you're in a position right now where you're sort of in that, like you don't play well this month. You're going to be in a relegation scrap because these are the teams that you're playing. These are the teams that are beneath you in the table or, or level with right. Nottingham forest, uh, Burnley, Bournemouth. Like those are games you got to win. Fulham did a lot of good things during that Liverpool game, right? You don't go ahead and, and lead three, two at Anfield. Um, if you're not at some point playing well, uh, and, and Fulham does do a lot of good things. They still lack a, a pure finisher, uh, a number nine. They never really replaced Mitrovic. I'd, in, I'd look to do that in January. Um, and then they just have a bad habit of conceding late goals. Uh, and, and you just you can't do that or else you're going to find yourself, uh, you know, scrapping for your life. But look, these are look, Nottingham Forest, West Ham, uh, Newcastle. You said Newcastle coming off the Champions League, Burnley, Bournemouth. These are games they can take points off. And they should take points off. Stu, now it's your turn because that's probably the most that we'll hear about for Fulham over the next <laughs> couple of weeks. Sorry, Kyle. Back back to the tea and honey for you. Um, all right, so I'm looking at the starting 11 for Liverpool. Nine of the 10 field players with a 7.3 match rating or better. Um, I know, obviously, challenging with Kelleher in with Allison potentially could be out for as much as a month plus due to the hamstring that he picked up at the end of the last match. Um, I guess it's a two-parter. How happy are you of the performance of the 10 on the field, and how concerning is it for uh, Kelleher that just shipped in a lot of goals? One or two of them could have maybe been avoided in there, um, especially with you know this kind of important part of the peri uh, period of the season coming up for y'all. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things where, like, you're right, definitely one or two of those I feel like Allison saves or does a better job at least. Uh, and it just shows you how Allison, just time and time again, if you watch this team like I do, I watch these games, I rewatch some of them, like, he saves this team so many times. Like, the, 
it's a good team. Uh, obviously, Van Dyke's Van Dyke, uh, Andy Robertson's when he's healthy, he's Andy Robertson. Like they have good players in the defense, but they're just they just leave so many openings at times. It's part of the way they play. It's part of also how they utilize Trent and how Trent isn't that great of a defender, as good as he is um, with the ball and passing the ball and striking the ball. He's just not that as a defender. And yeah, it's it's scary because you see what Allison does weekly. And he he usually has a few saves where if you put in a guy like Kelleher, who's I don't think is bad. Like if you, you know, put him among the backups in the Premier League, he's probably top three or four backups. He's probably, you know, 15th to 20th in terms of overall goalies in the Premier League, in my opinion. So I don't think he's bad necessarily, but there's just such a drop off, which is which is scary. Luckily, they have Sheffield, they have Palace, so they have a couple games that shouldn't be an issue. But then you have United, then you have Arsenal. You have some games where it could be a massive problem if you go into that game with Kelleher. So it's concerning. Overall, from the match, I was I was pretty happy. Again, they just concede too many goals. They fall behind too, too many times. 15 points from the trailing this season. Which is great because they they show their you know ability to come back in these games, but at the same time, going down to some of these teams, they do. No offense, Kyle and Fulham. Um, there, there's times they against teams that are you know bottom half table, they give up you know goals and you know they go down one nil. Ironically, in this game, that wasn't the case. They went up one nil. They went up two to one. But they gave that lead up two times and then gave up the three two. But yeah, it, it's definitely a little concerning, I would say, but. If they get Allison back by United Arsenal time, I, I think they'll be okay, at least in terms of being a top four team. Just quickly, the other matches on Sunday, because Sunday's slate of five were really, really solid. Bournemouth to Villa to where um, you had the Cherries book it, or excuse me, they started it and finished it. Semenyo scored in the 10th, nearly got sent off a little bit later in the first. Leon Bailey, don't ever let him get onto his left. He scored Solanke. But the go-ahead goal make it 2-1 before uh, Ollie Watkins leveled it in stoppage time. 1-1 between West Ham and Palace. And then, Sean, I, I wanted to hear more of your thoughts of that Chelsea-Brighton match because you, you brought up that was it a corner, should have been a handball. Obviously, it should have been a corner and all of it. But Chelsea come away with a 3-2 result against a Brighton team who had just progressed in Europe a couple of days ago. And you mentioned about that potential Brighton weekly hangover from European play, and it reared its ugly head once again. Yeah, look, I, I mean, first of all, you, you know, um, Connor Gallagher gets sent off in the first half. It, it, he, he really, I mean, he should have got sent off probably three or four minutes earlier. I thought the, the, the ref gave him a little bit of a break. They're, you know, he's just like, don't do it again. And then three minutes later, he's just like, terrible. What the hell are you doing? So they go down. You know, they were up. Uh, they scored two goals. They scored in the 17th minute and the 21st minute. Um, but uh, they pulled one right back. So uh, Brighton pulled one back and then Gallagher got set off. So everyone's kind of thinking here, you know, Brighton was actually playing really well going into the half. And, uh, you know, I was talking to, you know, I'm in a Chelsea chat group because uh, I, I play um, uh, like knockout. Whatever, you, you, you torture play. yourself by being in a Chelsea chat. Yeah, you know, the, the, the guy, everybody is in the thing. It's like one of these uh, knockout pools where you have to pick a team every week. So they basically the entire pool is is uh, Chelsea guys, except for me and this one, my buddy Dan. Um, so, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to them talking like, man, we were dominating this game. We're going to lose now. And then 
I, I did the 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 referee. I I don't know if, if any of you guys watched it. The the referee like there was a play. Uh, I forget who was going to the ball, and James Milner came over, and it wasn't like it wasn't a penalty, and they sent him to the monitor, and they, he gave it as a penalty. Um, and it, you know, it was three, one, it was just kind of a break the other way. I, I didn't think it was a penalty. I thought it was just a coming together. It was in the box. They gave it. And I, I was stunned that they gave it. Um, so they go up three, one Brighton scored to make it three, two, and then they're pressing there. And then, you know, that, that crazy play, I thought, you know, he, he actually pointed to the spot first and then changed it. But, um, you know, I, I, I just don't know what to think about Brighton. I, I thought, you know, I've seen this happen for 15 years with teams that go in, um, you know, Fulham uh, struggled. I, I, Kyle, I think Fulham struggled that year when they made their run to the Europa League final, right? Then they, then they kind of struggled uh, in the league. A little bit. Yeah, it's, it's so New, long ago. Newcastle, you know, Newcastle is a really good example. I mean, they, they got in and, and they went to a, they went to a, a quarterfinal um, of a, I think it was Europa League, and, and, and they, they finished like 16th or 17th. I mean, I, there's there's no way Brighton will finish that low because you know there's so many teams that they're better than. But I just think they're going to really struggle here going forward because they're going to get through. I mean, I, I think I think they're already through at this point. Um, so, um, but this this squad, I mean, it, when you get to 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 February and you're playing, you know, two, Thursday, and uh, and then you got to play Sunday, and they're going to get you know they'll walk through you know, those rounds because they're better than any of these teams are going to face. I mean, they've, they've done pretty well in that league. So I, I think they're going to struggle going in and, you know, then obviously you got the FA cup and you know they traditionally don't really throw out their first team in the FA cup. Like I, I remember last year against Manchester United, they basically threw out their backup. So maybe they'll get out of that, but I, I think they're going to struggle. I, I think, you know, they'll finish top 10, but you know, I, I don't think they're, they, they have, I don't think they'll get anywhere closer to like the Europa league at this point, unless they win it. Then they'll be in the Kyle, Kyle, last one to you quickly. I know <clears throat> you love the are Chelsea back or not last eight that? league matches, four wins, two draws, two losses. They're up to 10th. Some, yeah. Something has to be working. About That's about where I think they're going to finish. They're going to finish somewhere between 8th and 11th. Um, look, when they went down to 10 men, though, when Connor Gallagher got sent off, I thought they're going to they're gonna lose this game. Like, the, the way they're – season has been going the last really two seasons have been going um like they're going to find a way to lose this game they're on the road brighton's going to come back uh and and win this game three to two uh and chelsea ends up finding a way to win look they got a penalty um enzo converts it and then they're able to hold on at the end um look it's it's not an easy project that that pochettino is is taking on there i mean it, it was a club that was in uh turmoil when he got it from the ownership um you know, certainly a change in ownership and, um, you know, basically the way their, their transfer strategy and, and how they uh, just basically buy whomever is the next shiny object with no regard how that player may fit within the, the structure of the team. Um, so, it, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's not an easy job that Pochettino has. Um, they're probably looking at a mid-table finish this year. We'll see what they do the year after that. They'll be able to go into the transfer window. We'll see what, we'll see what it looks like after that. But right now they're going to have to ride this out um, and again, I think somewhere between eighth and eleventh is probably their ceiling this year. 
Well, it was a special Sunday. Saturday, not too bad in its own right. A couple of key matches. First, the Newcastle 1-0 over Man U. Sean, I'll obviously sure. cede the floor to you on this one. I'll just quickly put in before you go. Um, I expected this, and I walked away not surprised. Well, I, look, I, I'll be honest. I mean, Manchester United was terrible, but, you know, I didn't think Newcastle was much better. I mean, I knew they played and they had a lot of possession, but, you know, I'm not super impressed by Newcastle. I think they're in, I think they're in a little bit of trouble. I think their squad is really thin. Nick Pope's going to be out for four months now. Um, you know, their injuries are starting to pile up. And once again, look, when you have to start playing, they played, you know, they got to the Carabao Cup final last year. They went deep in the FA Cup. They, you know, they finished fourth. They're playing high-intensity games all year. All their players are playing in the World Cup. You know, they have to – now they're in the Champions League. You're playing all these high-intensity matches, these extra matches. Um, you know, they're, they're starting to get injured. And their squad's not super deep. But they, here's the deal. I mean, they can spend in January. You know, I don't know if they will or not. But, um, you know, it's a little different now with financial fair play and all this stuff. But I, I'm not super impressed by them. Manchester United stinks. I mean, they're just so bad at this point. Um but once again, look, uh, Lisandro Martinez is out. You know, uh, Casemiro's out. The guys that you're expecting to start, they 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 play. You know, Rashford on the right. You know, I, I just don't understand that. Just play him through, play him on the left. You know, play Garnacho through the center. I mean, you're better off playing Garnacho through the center instead of playing that mannequin. Um, but they, they, it's just, it's just disarray at this point. Uh, I, it'll probably get better. They don't lose when I'm over there. So that'll be interesting okay. against Chelsea. But, uh, um, I, you know, it, I thought it was a terrible match. I mean, it was just, it wasn't great to watch. I mean, I, you know, I watched it cause I'm a United fan, but you know, it, it was a terrible match. As soon as they go behind, you knew that that was it. Um, but you know, other, you know, the other results on, on Saturday were that, that, that game to be in that three o'clock window, I mean, it was, you know, pretty atrocious. And the game before it wasn't much better. Yeah, uh, that 3 p.m. Eastern time window, certainly an interesting one. And uh, I have one name, three parts, David De Gea. Uh, Stu, Arsenal two, Wolves one. I mean, it, Arsenal probably should have scored five or six times uh, before the 60th minute. Uh, credit to Wolves hanging around. Cunha gets another one. That's a player in phenomenal form over the last couple of weeks. And, you know, I know Arsenal happy with the three points, but I give a lot of credit to Wolves over the last month or so. They've shown some absolutely brilliant resiliency. And, you know, right now they stand 13th in the table. But if you really kind of take the, the window dressing back a little bit, they're only seven points out of a European spot. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I, I did not see that as a possibility going to this year, to be honest. I, I mean, I picked them to be relegated. And even if I didn't think they were going to be relegated, I certainly didn't think, you know, being around that European spot would, would be would be a thing. Yeah, I, I'm always impressed with them, uh, especially even since Pedro Neto went out. Like, they still, they're still creating chances. They're still, they're still playing well. Uh, Gary O'Neill is doing a really good job with them. I'm, I'm super impressed with him. And then, yeah, Arsenal – you're, you're right, JJ. Like the way they they played really well for I say about seventy minutes. I watched I watched that game pretty much start to finish. Um, they played well for like 70, 75 minutes, really, really well. And then it just felt like the last ten or fifteen minutes they made have might have taken their foot off the pedal a little bit. And that does seem to happen, you know, sometimes with some of these 
these bigger clubs, you know, you 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 get a little comfortable with that two no lead, that that very very dangerous uh, two no lead. But yeah, Arsenal's right there. They've been great. They've been um, pretty much unbeatable at home since the start of October. Six six wins and six matches, nineteen goals, four clean sheets. They're playing a really strong brand of football. Uh, I I still think it's them or Liverpool to. I think it's one of those two that would be the best chance to compete with City. Um, probably, I'd probably edge Liverpool right now very slightly, but it's in the end. I mean, they're very good, and and they've made some moves, and it's just going to be a matter to see uh, how healthy they could play and if they can maybe bring in a striker or, or, or another goal scorer. But but I really like them. They're they're, they're just a really good squad. Uh, they just <laughs> at least they're not in a position to bottle it like they were last year. They got to such a big lead, so maybe playing from a little behind and playing catch up. Uh, once City and Liverpool uh, get some more points, I, I think might be uh, might be you know we'll see what happens. Well, as they say, sometimes it's better to be the chaser than the one that's getting chased around the park throughout the entire season. A uh, quick wrap of the other three matches on the Saturday: Brentford three, Luton Town one. Despite that, Luton Town showed a bit of resiliency later on. It was not enough uh, to get any points off the bees. Nottingham Forest zero, Everton one. A Dwight McNeil. Thunderbolt uh, was the difference in what could be a huge turning point for Everton. Again, after getting the 10-point deduction, they have bounced back nicely, and they're nearly out of the relegation zone already. Forrest continue to have absolute issues marking anybody inside their own box. And then Burnley 5, Sheffield United nil in the relegation six-pointer. Burnley playing, well, turning it back to basically last March to when they were doing this week in week out in the championship. Um, Sean, you are keeping a, and I hope when you're over there, going to be keeping an eye on things because while I just checked 30 seconds ago, Sheffield United have still not announced Paul Heckingbottom has been sacked. It's been reported basically everywhere that he's going to yeah. be gone. Gonna I'm be. curious. I'm curious to hear your thoughts, Sean. On is there anybody that can possibly save the Sheffield team? And I'm not even maybe saying out of relegation, just playing some sort of competent football. I mean, you know, if you get somebody to come in and you organize the defense and you kind of, you know, you, you look, you can't lose five, nothing to, to Burnley. I mean, that's, that's embarrassing. Um, you know, that's the kind of, that's the kind of loss there that could change Burnley season and you're fighting with them to kind of, uh, you know, to, to, to go up the table and, you know, right there, that's a, that's a 10 goal difference for those two teams right there. in the goal difference, that's massive. I mean, at, Burnley's at you know, minus 17 now because of that and Sheffield United's at minus 28. You, you can't lose five, nothing in those games. You just can't, like, it, it really starts to mess with your goal difference. Um, you know, look, they have one win. They're the only team with one win. They have 11 losses. Uh, you know, the only saving, Grace, and we keep saying this, is that, you know, Luton's terrible, Burnley's terrible, Sheffield United, you know, obviously not very good. Uh, Everton's going to start climbing the table. Obviously, they're not going to – they're, 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 they're going to claw those points back. Um, you know, Bournemouth, they're still in there. Nottingham Forest hasn't been playing well. So, if you could get somebody in there to, you know, organize the, the defense and – Maybe, you know, look, you got to start getting some, you know, draws, whatever, you know, but you got to keep clean sheets first or, or keep the goals down. Um, you, you know, you can't give up 39 goals in 14 matches. I mean, that's a recipe for disaster. I don't know who would take the job. 
Um, the, the other thing too is, you know, sometimes in this, when you're in the bottom half or bottom of the relegation scrap, you know, you want to kind of time it because you want to say, you know, if you, if you fire your manager first, you can go get somebody, you know, Sam out whoever you want, but you know, you get that bounce, but if you bounce too soon, it's like when you watch, you know, um, uh, something, they hit the nitrous too fast and the fears hit the nitrous too soon and they jump up, but then, you know, there's still 24 matches to go. Yeah. Look, you might get a burst for five or six matches here, but then what do you do? Your squad still stinks. And, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to figure out, you know, maybe if they start winning a couple games after they fire the manager and they get to the point where they're on 10 points, 11 points, and they're kind of in that battle with these teams, maybe the, the owners say, Hey, we'll, we'll spend a little money. We'll go get someone to try to save the season. So it could be a good time to do it, but uh, sometimes you, you know, you, you pull the trigger too early and it kind of, tanks that boost you know they, they're a kind of team here right i i think you could see like multiple like you know multiple firings like leads over the last couple of years and, and, and you know there could be four managers here by the end of the by the end of the season well there's only one thing that we know none of these teams can hold a candle to watford and the amount of managers <laughs> that they fire over a two-year period because that yeah. actually what was it mike samsel who's unavailable to join us tonight but i believe he said if chris wilder um, <laughs> comes back in, then one-fourth of the managers in the Premier League right now will have managed Watford at some point of the year. That includes Edwards, Hodgson, Silva, and Dyche. That is very impressive. Um, Midweek mania. Didn't think yeah. that this would be creeping up as fast as it, did, as it does, but here we are. We've got a full slate of matches between Tuesday and Thursday. Um, I'll list them out, and then you guys rattle off which ones that you're going to be keeping an eye on. On Tuesday, uh, all these, by the way, in America East Coast time, it's about 2.30 to 3.15 on kickoffs. Of course, in England, it is the lovely, and I bet, Sean, this is why you went there during this time, all evening kickoffs. No Saturday at 3 p.m., at least for this one. Uh, Wolves against Burnley on Tuesday. Luton hosts Arsenal. Then on Wednesday, Brighton and Brentford. Palace hosts Bournemouth. Fulham against Forest, which didn't think that would be completely a relegation six-pointer, but it's kind of turning out to be one. Sheffield United hosting Liverpool. Aston Villa against Man City, probably my pick of the bunch for the week. Man U hosting Chelsea. Then on Thursday, Everton, Newcastle, and Tottenham, West Ham. Um, Kyle, is this one that you're going to be sweating out a little bit against uh, Nottingham Forest? Uh, it's, it's certainly possible, uh, you know, um, but it's at the cottage, so it's a game at home. It's a game you should win. Um, you Since since you had mentioned uh, Villa uh, and City, because obviously that's I think that's a game that a lot of us are, are, are going to be watching. Um, how about Crystal Palace Bournemouth? And the reason I, I say that um, is because there's a player on Crystal Palace who I'm very interested in, and that's Chris Richards, uh, who started today in – center midfield uh, because Eze is is injured for, for Palace. Now, they're different kinds of players, um, but Richards is a guy who he primarily is a center back. He's, he's from Alabama. Uh, he's a guy I know that the, the American setup is really high on. They would like for him to be the starting center back going into the Copa America, going into the World Cup cycle. He just hasn't gotten a lot of game time at Palace. He hasn't been able to break into that side. Um, some of this because he, he, he's a little bit injury prone, but he's super talented 
Um, and he got a chance to, to play 90 minutes um, in the draw with West Ham on the weekend and played very well uh, playing as a, as a center midfielder instead of a center back. But if he's going to get on the field and get consistent minutes, um, he's certainly a player that, that I have my, my eye on, um, both uh, in the Premier League to see how he progresses and what if he can translate that um, you know, into the, the national team because I think he's a very talented player. He's a, he's a guy in his, his early 20s um, who, I, who I know they're really high on. Uh, Stu, what match are you going to be keeping your eye on uh, this weekend in addition to, well, um, <clears throat> Liverpool playing Sheffield United? So you'll probably just have that on a side screen, right? Yeah, for sure. I'll be at work. I'll be you know, trying to catch, you know, cram some of these games in. But yeah, the, the Villa City one is obviously the most intriguing. Um, you have Rodri who will be out because of a yellow card suspension. You have Grealish who will be out because of a yellow card suspension. I mean, City's dropped points in three of their last five, so they're not in the greatest form. Um, Villa Park's obviously a very tough place to play. Villa's been very good. And not the greatest performance in the world this weekend against Bournemouth, but aside from that, they've been you know, pretty much on fire uh, lately. So I'm intrigued to see if Villa can at home, especially without Rodri. Uh, City's just a totally different team without Rodri. I, I mean, I know they have a, a trillion players and all, all these guys that – you know, they, they, they certainly have backups, but Rodri just brings something else to that midfield. When he's out, they just don't play as well. And Villa's a very tough team. So nope. I, I do think Villa at least takes a point, maybe takes all three points in this one. But nope. that's definitely no, the match Grealish, I'm no Grealish and no, looks like Doku might be injured too as well. That too. So yeah, yeah. Ended. So, uh, yeah, it's an interesting game. And Villa Park's going to be rocking for that as well. Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah, fascinating, by the way, Sean, you talked Doku a second ago. Notice Tottenham absolutely abused that side that he was defending uh, in the first half. So that'll be fascinating to see what replacement comes in. Uh, Sean, your pick of the week? Well, I'll be at the Manchester United-Chelsea match, so I'll pick that. Uh, You know, I think it's – it's a a really good match to go to for me because there's going to be probably about 10 goals – both the defenses stink. Uh, you know, it's it, it's <laughs> these teams. Uh, look, I you know, I, I just think both teams will be desperate to to win the game. I mean, the problem, you know, I you know, I was at the United Chelsea match, Stanford Bridge. It was terrible a couple of years ago. It was a terrible match. Uh, these teams don't usually play like interesting matches. I mean, they, they in the past they did, but. I just think right now, I mean, Chelsea's look, they, they can attack. I mean, but I just don't know. I mean, their their defense is a mess. And I, you know, I, I would if I was a Manchester United player, I would I would think I can go score some goals against that that back line. So uh, you know, they're gonna have some players out as well. Um, you know, I, I, I just don't know what to think every time Manchester United steps on the field. They they, they looked really, really good against Everton in the second half. They were atrocious in that game um, the other day. You know, I thought the game, you know, midweek was 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 interesting. So, you know, look, I, I think that's going to be good. And and then, you know, I, I think, you know, the two Thursday games, I, I think Newcastle is going to have an issue. I think Newcastle is going to struggle with that game at Everton. Newcastle isn't great on the road. I, I think Everton's going to be, you know, siege mentality there. Um, Newcastle's really banged up. And, and look, the Spurs and West Ham game, I think, is going to be good because it's a London derby. I mean, there's a lot of really good games this match week. 
Yeah, a lot of good ones. Um, definitely not, some of them, at least not the uh, traditional big standout ones. But I think, yeah, in terms of teams that are looking to make that push right before the holidays, you have that there. Some teams trying to keep themselves out of the drop there as well. Now, going to change focus here a little bit because this one also snuck up, uh, at least snuck up on me, might not have for you guys. But the fact that we had Euro 2024 draw coming in on the weekend and we now know uh, all the groups uh, that will be taking part in just well i mean next year but really it's just six or seven months from right now as that competition will kick off in the summer in germany a uh, quick run through the groups group a you have germany scotland hungary switzerland group b spain croatia italy and albania c is slovenia denmark serbia and england now group d has the a, the Path A playoff winner will be a winner of the combination of Wales, Finland, Poland, and Estonia, which will then be facing off against the Netherlands, Austria, France. Group E has Belgium, Slovakia, Romania, with then the team that comes out of Path B. Again, these are all coming through the Nations League. Um, success there. Path B has Bosnia, Herzegovina, Ukraine, Iceland, and Israel. And then in Group C, or excuse me, the final group, I should say, I was looking at Path C, uh, we'll have Turkey, Portugal, Czech, uh, Czech Republic, or Czechia is now they're being referred to for all international competitions. And then the winner of Path C, which has Georgia, Luxembourg, my Greeks, and Kazakhstan. Um, the one that actually, guys, gets me fascinated by is the the one that goes at a path A, which could be Wales, to go up against Netherlands, Austria, and France. That, for me, could be the complete group of death. I know everyone's saying group B, Stu, but D could be the most interesting one out of them all for me. Very fascinating. Group D is definitely fascinating. Um, Netherlands, France, I mean, those are two of the best, maybe six or seven uh, teams in this in this competition, and yeah, like you said, JJ, if you get a good enough team in path A to, to play that, that's that's very strong. Um, Austria, I'll at, yeah, I'll look at because I'm Hungarian, so I'll look at group A Hungary, Germany, Scotland. I'd be thrilled if Hungary gets uh, you know, gets into the knockout stage. I mean, this is a good time to have Germany in your group, right? I mean, this German yep. squad is a bit rough right now, uh, Scotland's pretty good. But I'll be curious to see what Hungary can do there um, in Group A. For me, I'll be very fascinated to see how that group plays out. Sean, if you're an England fan, you probably have to be thrilled once again with this draw. Obviously, there's challenges there, but you have to think that they're going to be the favorites to go through. Yeah, and, you know, it sets up. I mean, they play Serbia first. Uh, so, you know, I think, you know, you get that decent. Then they play Denmark. So, uh, you know, if you, you get, you know, a result there. Uh, you got Slovenia in the last day, so they can kind of, you know, they pick up. They they don't usually do poorly in uh, the qualification parts when they get to the knockout stage. Um, I, you know, there's some really big games. Uh, I think, you know, it, everyone's looking at Italy, Spain. Spain opens with Croatia. I think that's going to be interesting. Obviously, I think France, Netherlands, I think that's match day two on June 21st. You know what I think? Uh, you know, I work with a Turkish guy, and Turkey has always been this team that is—they eh, were the dark horses, and then they don't do anything. You know that that group with Portugal. Portugal is clearly probably the favorite, but this Turkey team is really good. Um, they have some talent. You know, Belgium 
I don't know how it works. Belgium's always in an easy group. Uh, they're like the man city of nations. Um, but, you know, some of these other groups, you know, Spain, Italy, obviously Croatia, that would be interesting. Albania is like, oh, man, how, how do we get in that group? But, you know, I think, Stu, for you, for Hungary, look, I, you know, Scotland's been playing really well. But, you know, I, I would think Hungary would would think they have a chance to maybe get out of that group. I mean, you know, there's some games in there that they might be able to win. I mean, you know, look, if you beat Scotland and Switzerland, you're coming out of the group. So, um, you know, I think that's an interesting group as well. Um, it's just, it's it's crazy because, you know, you, you think it's June 14th that it, it kicks off and, uh, you know, it seems like far away. But, you know, by the time, you know, you blink an eye, it'll be you know, middle of March and we'll be in the next international break and uh, it'll be a couple weeks away. So, uh, you know, I, I think everybody's kind of excited for it. Uh, it's it, it's going to be in Germany, right? So, uh, yeah. you know, there'll be some good stadiums and, and obviously it'll be, you know, Germany in the summer, that would be pretty cool. Maybe we'll have to make a box box trip over there for it. Uh, can I just real quickly, Germany three, Germany three, six and two in its friendly since the end of the World Cup. Yeah, uh, they're not very good. They're not, they're not playing well right now. They're not in particularly great form. Makes me wonder just what that dynamic is going to be on home soil if they come out in that, that opening match against Scotland and all of a sudden they get behind. Uh, and, and what that's going to feel like, what that's going to sound like, um, because I don't know how much confidence the German public has in this team right now. They, they didn't get out of the group in the World Cup, and they just have not played well post-World Cup. They've changed the manager. That's an interesting dynamic to keep an eye on as the Euros start. Yeah, no, you're right, because usually we'd be discussing the fact that, that the home fans will give the boost to the home team and you know how we've seen it often enough in major competitions that that usually can be a little bit of an X factor. But yeah, if Germany throw up a bad performance against Scotland in the opener, will that German crowd turn on their home national team? And I mean, Sean, you say that it could be a lovely summer in Germany. Well, it could be a dark and dreary summer <laughs> for, for everybody else, fans. but the Germans. Yeah. 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 For, for all the fans, but the Germans. That's right. Guys, I've got one more to hit on. Yeah, I guess we could call it our around the world segment. But uh, does anybody have anything else that they'd like to go to? Uh, Sean, anything for you? Yeah, I just I saw a story about you know they're kind of bashing the Saudi league right now because uh, you know the attendances aren't great. But uh, look, I mean, the, nobody even knew the league existed, uh, you know, before the season, and it's just you know I I, I think it's just. People at this time, I mean, same thing kind of happened with the Chinese Super League, and they just don't. They want the league to be like the Premier League immediately. There's no people just have no patience for stuff. Look, this league, yeah, they bring in these names. It's not going to be. Look how long it's taken the MLS to get to where it is now. It takes years and decades. It takes time. I mean, I I know these people are get so worked up about it, but look. You know, you can't build this stuff. You know, I, I I think, you know, when these leagues try to build stuff, I'm all for, you know, I, you know, I try to watch the A-League sometimes, the Australian League, it, it, you know, in the mornings when I'm, before I go to work and, you know, you try to see these leagues that are building up. I mean, it, if they're building these leagues, the Faroe Islands has its own league. I, I'm just, you know, just, just, just happy to see all these leagues trying to build up. So I, I thought that was pretty cool. But, you know, I, I think the media has got to kind of back off a little bit. Kyle, I, I um, I'm still watching that Christian Pulisic goal from the weekend on repeat. Uh, the, that man, 
man, what a touch, Mike. Mike. Like he's that's I, I I know that we we joke about it a lot. Samson and I have the ongoing you know gag that we do, but uh, like he's actually having a fantastic year for AC Milan. Um, you know they're they're playing him in the right spot. His manager believes in him. Uh, the AC Milan supporters believe in him. They want him out there, uh, and and he's at an age now too where he should be in his prime. Um, you know, obviously he's. Um, he is the guy for the U.S. national team when he when he plays he when he plays here, um, but he 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 should be um, doing what he's doing now for AC Milan, and he's in terrific form. And if he can stay healthy, um, he's he's going to continue to have a, have a great year. I mean that if if somebody of another nationality would have scored that goal with that touch, uh, and then being able to retain your balance and with the finish, we'd be going nuts if a Brazilian scored that goal. Um, so so obviously just. Uh, you know, happy to see, happy to see that. That's my, uh, that's my around the world. Um, Harvey Barnes couldn't do that. I guess for me, I'll go to La Liga, Girona once again. Another, another victory. They came back uh, against Valencia. Uh, they're actually down uh, one nil for most of the game. They got two goals from the substitute, Christian Stuani. Um, so they've been on fire. I mean, they really haven't played anyone yet. That's that's the real question. How are they going to do when they play some of these bigger, you know? Right. Madrid clubs or Barcelona. Well, they have Barcelona this weekend, so that'll be a big test for them going to Barcelona to, to see if they can keep up that uh, that strong form that they've had. Thirty-eight points, second place in La Liga right now. Stu, is that home or away for Girona? Uh, that is away. Which is fascinating then, because I'm not sure if you guys saw the reports that came out that Barcelona had its lowest um, single match league. Terrible attendance now in forever granted there is a small asterisk next to this because the new camp um is currently being renovated so they're playing their home matches at the old barcelona olympic stadium which is not exactly close to the new camp um not quite far away but not close some under 39 38 that's i mean Stu, if you're Girona right now you're thinking this might be our best and only chance to get three points on the road at Barcelona because it's not going to be the same support they usually get when you're at Barcelona's traditional ground. Not the same port. They obviously have some injuries too uh, with Gavi out. And I know for a few, you know, for probably most of the rest of the year um, and to even maybe even through Euro. So yeah, I mean, it's definitely a good chance for them and, and the home field advantage certainly will not be the same. You're right about that, JJ. And it is definitely, it is on the road on Sunday um, at Barcelona. So we'll see what happens. I'm very intrigued. There's 21,000 empty seats at the stadium. Uh, I mean, it holds 55,000. Uh, they're they're saying about the weather and it was it's a little bit of a travel and stuff. But look, you're playing Atletico Madrid. Come on, not good. Uh, my shout for the week goes back to England because we had the second round of the FA Cup this past weekend. This is the round where we go from 40 to 20 winners to join the 44 teams out of the Premier League and Championship. So there's some notable ones. First off, Kyle, I'll have to start off in a negative for you because Forest Green Rovers' match against Blackpool was uh, postponed because there's a FA investigation going on against Forest Green Rovers. We don't know what it is. I don't. I thought it, it was the bad weather, but Blackpool claiming and showing pictures that the uh, the field was fine. So we'll have to keep I, an eye on that one, as they say. I know how to pick them, don't I? <laughs> you do not do well at that stage I, if you want advice i'll happily give you actually you could be a fan of chesterfield because yeah. what did they do the top team in the vanarama national league 
once again getting to the third round of the FA Cup as they dispatch Leighton Orient by a goal to nil. Uh, some other notables, Gillingham, who are on great run of form out in Kent, beat Charlton, who are near top of League One by two goals to none. You had Maidstone reaching the third round, I believe the first time ever in club history as the National League South side upset Barrow by two goals to one. Newport thought that they had it one late, but Barnett out of the National League scored in the 89th minute, so they go to a replay. Uh, Horsham, who were knocked out of the competition, but then put back into the competition when Barnsley got kicked out of the competition. Well, now Horsham are out as Sutton United dispatched them by three goals to none. Eastley, uh, probably the best scenes of the weekend at home. Paul McCallum's goal in the fifth minute of stoppage time, knocking up Reading, which unfortunately kind of a sour state right there with Reading because they had a protest in the 16th minute because their club owners haven't paid their players in full in the last couple of months. They haven't paid their non-playing staff period. So uh, fake 20 pound notes are being thrown onto the field in the 16th minute. So not good signs there for a team that were in the championship last year and might be in league two next season. And then, um, my story of the week, Wimbledon 5, Ramsgate nil. not for the fact that my Don's going through and they'll host Ipswich Town in the next round, but Ramsgate, the lowest team in the competition, eighth tier in the Isthmian League Southeast. They, won- they had to start in the preliminary round of qualifying, so they had to win five rounds of matches to get to this point, including one replay. And guys, I... I was kind of crunching the numbers. Just curious to hear your take on this one. This is not complete accurate, though. Did get a little bit of help somewhere. Of course, the FA publishes the prize results and getting some help from Ali Bayless, who is a presenter for BBC Radio. Estimated that the club made roughly about 90 to 95,000 pounds getting from the first from the qualifying round through the first round between TV rights and the 50-50 on the tickets in this match against Wimbledon. They're looking over 110,000 pounds just to lose 5 0. 200,000 pounds for one club in one run. Sean, I know, especially for you, that can not only save a lot of non league clubs, you can invest a lot going forward with that amount of money. That changes, you know, when you see these teams and, uh, you know, there's a reason they put these teams on when they, when they get to these rounds, uh, you know the state of grassroots football in England is always, um, you know, it's, it's not as healthy as you'd think it is. I mean, you you know, it's kind of the same here. Look, you know, I, I think, you know, when you get some of these teams that do that, you know, they, they take this money and they invest it back into the club and they invest it into, you know, they pay the, 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 the tea lady gets a, you know, a nice little bonus for Christmas and the, the, the boot person gets, you know, bonus, the bonus for Christmas. And, you know, it, it changes people's lives and it changes the lives of the people that go to see these matches. You know, I, I try to, I, I haven't done it as much, but, you know, when I used to go over there, I used to try to get to, you know, a Bury match, League One or whatever, League Two, because there's so many stadiums around Manchester. Um, you know, now, uh, you know, obviously Salford, but um, the, the, it, these, these, when they make these runs here and, and Maidstone is, is a team and they're going to host, uh, I think they're going to host, right? Uh, 
in the next round. They're going to host Stevenage or Point Vale. That game is going to be on TV, and they're going to make a ton of money because it's the third round, and the BBC picks these games. And it changes lives of players, of staff, of fans, and stuff like this. And I, I always think it's good. Look, you know, when it gets down to it, it's like the NCAA tournament. Nobody wants to see, you know, Cinderella in the final. They want to see North Carolina against Kentucky or something like this. But, uh, you know, I, I think when you, you know, you know, when the, when you look back at the last 10 or 10 years that, you know, the, the, maybe the best FA cup final was Wigan beating city. I mean, it was, it was fantastic. And, um, you know, people like to see that stuff. Obviously I'll pick me you know, Manchester United against Crystal Palace in, in, in extra time. But you know that when Wigan beat city, it, it was stunning. And it's always, you know, they win the FA cup and then they get relegated. So it's, I, you know, it, it's great to see these little teams do well. I just have one Absolutely. more before you wrap us up. Yep. Uh, Florida State blew the doors off Stanford in the Women's College Cup final tonight. Um, the men's final four uh, is coming up this weekend. Oregon State against Notre Dame, Clemson against West Virginia. There's a lot of international flavor on these college teams in America, um, which is something to, to keep in mind also for young players abroad is that there are opportunities uh, to come play soccer in America and continue your career, also your, your education uh, that can maybe open up windows for you that are that are closing if it, you know closing while you're in Europe there are other opportunities in the states something to keep in mind no you're right shout out to Brian Penske bringing home his first star after Mark Krikorian got a couple for him it looks like we've hit nearly an hour on this show which means Stu's got a lot of work to do so I think we're gonna <laughs> cut this one here guys good stuff as always we'll be back in a few days time um to recap the midweek mania get you ready for next weekend as well so for Stu, for sean for kyle and for mike who is not here i'm jj signing off follow us on box to box football on both instagram and twitter slash x we'll talk to you all next time